In our main topic, we will be talking about a team that we have talked about in previous years, and largely for the same reason we'll be talking about them is uh, the same reasons we've been talking about them in previous years, because uh, they are letting down their stars. By they, I mean the depth guys and management. Um, we'll give you some time to guess who that team might be. We also have a couple of extensions to report. Uh, Connor Bedard absolutely lighting up junior hockey. And a very strange bankruptcy case that you would have to read to believe. And even then, you probably still wouldn't believe it. Episode 348 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. First off, been a while since our last uh, recording. Yeah. Uh, we've uh, had a bit of time off with Christmas and that. Brent uh, went on vacay, saw some Bruins games. Yep. Uh, so, Happy New Year. Hope you had a good Christmas, Tonka, whatever you were celebrating. Hope it was a great time. Got to enjoy some hockey, family time, all that good stuff. And, uh, Brett, where are we going first? Well, yeah, also, well, first off, uh, Happy Holidays and Happy New Year, of course. And I also do want to explain that I was I took a trip to California to watch my Bruins play the Sharks and the Ducks. That was fun. I uh, visited some online friends, so that was fun. Also... Um, we had a bit of my own computer uh, was scratched as well. So uh, the last two weeks, the reason why we didn't have a podcast was all on me. Uh, but yeah, we did decide to not have uh, Chris uh, do anything on the Christmas or the day after Christmas or anything. So, but yeah, it was um, it was fun though, at least to just like I, I know we we do this hockey podcast for fun and all, but it was. It was nice to just not think about that for a little bit. But, yeah, it's great to be back. Um, yeah, and you started off, uh, yeah, we're going to start off by saying that uh, Canada, Team Canada, they won the World Juniors during that time. Yeah. Um, and um, I didn't watch a whole lot of it because, as I was mentioning, I was, like, traveling for, for a little bit of it. But uh, from what I did gather, Connor Bedard was unbelievable. Uh, he had... Uh, 23 points in seven games. Um, uh, I thought this was a record for the World Juniors. It apparently is not, and it's something that's even more crazy, is that Peter Forsberg holds the record there for most points in the World Juniors, and that's 31 points in seven games. Um, either way, this is something very impressive for a 17-year-old. Um, of course, like, you know, the World Juniors are, like, it's it's you know it's never like an indication of how good someone can be in the NHL. Uh, Casey Middlestad is a good example of that. Um, but on the other hand, it's like the, like Connor Bedard is 17 years old. Pretty much everyone else um, in the World Juniors is 18, 19, or 20, um, or 18 and 19 because these were under 20s, I should say. Um, and, and yeah, it's like the next closest with, um, in points was Logan Cooley, um, who had 14 points in seven games, which of course is pretty good, but not as good as Connor Bedard's 23. Um, so it's just, it's just crazy impressive. 
Um, and, you know, yeah, he, it seemed like whenever he had the puck, um, he would score or make a pass to, to someone who would score. So, uh, yeah, he looked really good. Um, and, yeah, I'm excited to see who he, uh, what, what he'll do in the NHL, uh, wherever that is. Yeah, um, so first off, uh, 18 points in his first four games. Um, and the final three Robin, uh, round-robin games, he had 17 of those 18 points. Uh, largely what happens when you're going through teams like Germany and mm-hmm. Austria, uh, who just got absolutely smacked around all tournament, unfortunately yep. for them. Uh, but that first game against Czechia, where I think him and Fantilli... Um, were basically in a Michigan competition, uh, and uh, oh, yeah. Canada lost that game five to two, by far their biggest blemish for the tournament. And it had a lot of Canadians very, very nervous uh, going into the rest of the tournament. Uh, fortunately, they did pick up their game. Uh, they, despite their flaws, they overcame them. Thomas Millick uh, had a great semifinal game against the Americans, despite going down to nothing. He held the forward stop. I think forty-two of forty-six. Or uh, no, forty-two or forty-four shots in that game, and uh, Canada was able to come back and win that game six to two. And the reason that Connor Bedard was getting a lot of praise was yes, the points, but also uh, the fact that he was a game-changing part of Canada's offense. Yeah. Uh, that game where he tried the Michigan against Czechia, he had 11 shots and he scored on one of them. So one of Canada's primary offensive producers in that game. Then, of course, he absolutely goes crazy against Germany and Austria, as most people expect. Then the final game against Sweden, he's still putting up 3.4.5 point masterpieces. Uh, then you have the Slovakian game where he, I can only describe it as a Conrad David S. goal where it's three-on-three overtime. This is a 17-year-old kid in a best-on-best scenario, three-on-three overtime, one false move. The Slovaks could go the other way and end your tournament. And he has the absolute balls of steel to go through one defender, second defender, third defender, and then while the goalie is po-checking, go around the goalie and then just slide it in. Yep. And, and he made it look effortless. The composure of this kid, just the willingness to be able to pull all of that off is absolutely astounding to me. And in that big game, big moment player, like that was that was his Jordan Eberle moment at the mm-hmm. World Juniors. Uh, last year was good, but people are always going to remember that goal. And that Slovakian goalie was named goalie of the tournament, standing on his head, absolutely crazy. Uh, and then uh, against the Americans... Didn't really stand out as much. Oh well, I I just agree with games. that actually, because I uh, remember vividly he did get the game-winning goal um, uh, against the U.S. Um, there. Uh, I don't think he got the game winner, but when the U.S. were up to goal, nothing, though. Canada scored to make it two-one, and Bedard yeah. did get that goal. So I thought you know, I thought he, he got, got Canada back in the game. It was a big goal. Well, because I remember that. I mean, I stopped watching after a while because you. <laughs> you guys were blowing out the U.S., but I, I'm pretty sure I remember that that goal was um, was the game winner because I was just thinking, it's like, of course it's Connor Bedard who scores. Um, okay. and then, well, he could have scored another one, yeah, but the 2-1 goal, 
Uh, that got Canada back in the game, yeah. and it was Connor Bedard who scored it. Right, so right. either way, that goal alone, he made a he made an impact yeah. right there. He got his team sure. back in the game. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And the the one game that he didn't go pointless, uh, the, that he went pointless, sorry, was the final the game against Czechia, and he had this diving hook pass that led to a great A scoring chance for Canada that uh, the Canadian shooter unfortunately hit the side of the net and mm. the puck didn't go in. So. Like, even when he's not getting points, he's making big plays out there. And yeah. um, at the end of the game, what I really liked is when people were talk when the media were talking about how good his game is, like, we're not talking about me, we're talking yeah. about this team. I love these guys, I love this country. Yeah. Like, that. that's, like, NHL GMs watching that, they're salving or this guy's like, man, right. this guy's so good, but he's also a great team player. We need to lose all our games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, if they weren't already... Um, yeah, no, that's... Yeah, that's, I mean, look at Chicago against Seattle. Six goals on seven shots. That'll tell you anything. Exactly, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, no, well, also, um, Adam Fantilli, he had five points in seven games. Leo Carlson had six points in seven games. Uh, again, like, it's yeah. not like a true tell of how good these players are going to be um, in the NHL, just because it's like you never know with team dynamics and things like that, as well as like it's only seven games at most. Um, but, but yeah, no, of course, Connor Bedard looks really good. Um, yeah, and he's he's um, he was well, the one game that I did watch, which was USA Canada, he was like it was very like I was scared whenever he touched the puck. So, um, so yeah, that's something that uh, the only thing is, I mean, we're kind of spoiling the lead, and I guess we are. Like, this this podcast episode will spoil the lead as well. But um, you just, I like, Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard just can't be on the same Edmonton Oiler team. It's just, like, that That just can't happen. That's just going to be unfair. So uh, What also can't happen is Connor Bedard going to a team that just wastes his prime years. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, what can happen, like, and that's like Chicago or maybe even Arizona. Uh, Chicago, I could see actually. Uh, Chicago, I would be okay with. I know that they have that whole Kyle Beach situation, but I could, I don't know. I, I feel like they, could, I could see that. But um, the fact that um, what um, well the the true thing that would be kind of insane, and I guess we're getting kind of carried away a little bit here now are off tracks here, but uh, what would be really insane would be, uh, so Florida um, doesn't have their first round pick. They traded it for to Montreal for that Ben Chirot deal. Um, and, um, and Florida currently is not in the playoffs as well. So there is a possibility that Montreal could get the first overall pick. Oh, and it's not lottery protected either. Um, so yeah. What could happen is Montreal could get the first round pick, first overall pick, and the second overall pick, which means yeah. that Bedard and Fantilli could both be on the Montreal Canadiens, or I mean, or you could do like Leo Carlson and Connor Bedard, but that would be actually the thing that would get me the most mad. Um, but um, but that's probably just because I'm a Bruins fan. Um, anyways, um, the. Uh, what um oh in, in other news um oh is there anyone else who stood out in the world juniors for you probably leo carlson and okay. uh logan cooley you mentioned they yeah. have great tournaments as well uh 
but uh, and and Olin Selwiger as well yeah. though, was was looking pretty solid too, um, and uh, also Thomas Chachanik of the Czech Republic. Oddly enough, he's the goaltender on the All Tournament All Star team, but not the top goalie. He got uh, yeah. he got Markstrom. He got the Markstrom Shazirkin thing going on there, but oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Not currently, not property of any NHL team. Um, I hope that changes after this season or next, because uh, he definitely deserves at least a tryout with an NHL team. Yeah. Uh, definitely having a good season on an average WHL team, mm. and you saw what he did in a best-on-best best tournament. So he at least deserves a shot to make an a- NHL squad um, and someday the NHL. So. Well, you. Uh, uh, all the NHL teams, give this kid a shot. Well, that may end up being his downfall because I'm looking here at his stats right now. Uh, in 23 games for the Tri-City Americans, which is a WHL team for those who don't know, uh, 23 games this year, he has a 361 GAA and a 901 save percentage. Um, he had pretty much similar stats last year as well, so um, that might be a, a big reason why um, he wasn't drafted. He is 19 years old, so will will cut him some slack, but yeah, that might be why. To be um, fair, I mean, the yeah. the goals against average and the save percentage really don't tell the yeah. entire story. If you have a goals against average that, that high and a save percentage still in the 900s, like, there's something there. True, true. I just, I don't know, like, you know, it's not like we should kind of lower your your horses. That's not the right saying. Yeah, well, temper your expectations. I, I mean, I mean, like if you put him in a good system, like he, yeah. he could be a very serviceable goaltender potentially. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, I guess that's that's fair. Maybe. Um, well, what is uh, interesting is Adam Gayon, who was the Slovakian goalie for four games. Um, he um, he's eighteen years old, so he could be drafted. Um, so so we'll see. Um, and he's currently in the USHL right now uh, for the Green Bay Gamblers. Um, the the other thing I wanted to note, and you um, were emailing me nonstop about this whole drama, basically. But Shane Wright uh, went after Canada won the World Juniors. Uh, Shane Wright went uh, was sent to the OHL uh, for the Kingston Frontinax, and then there was, like, some speculation on who would actually, because he was immediately going to be traded, because that was the whole idea. I guess Kingston is not a good team right now, so that's why they, and there's always unreal trades in the OHL, so. Yeah, they're, they're an average team that knew they weren't going to have Shane Wright yeah. after next year, and they're bidding to host the Memorial Cup, so they figured, uh, let's get some assets for the future, as opposed to wasting half a season of Shane Wright when yeah. we know that next year's our best year yep. to make a playoff run and he's not going to be there. And so then that's the whole um, I was reminded of the Euroma Ginla trade to Pittsburgh uh, when when you were emailing me this stuff because what happened was there was a report that Shane Wright was going to the London Knights um, and then and Campbell was the main source driving that yep. by the way. And then um, and then like an hour later you were telling me like oh no actually never mind he's going to Windsor. Um, Windsor Spitfires. I'm looking here at elite prospects right now. Uh, he has he has six points in three games for Windsor right now, so not bad. Um, but uh, I also didn't realize this until uh, like a little bit later. But uh, Windsor Spitfires are coached by Mark Savard, 
was also the former team of Wyatt Johnston. So Mark Savard knows how to coach um, the centers. I, I think he was he was talking on the Jeff Merrick show, Mark Savard, um, and he was just saying that he wants Shane Wright to like basically love hockey again um, and, and make it fun for him. So um, if they're like, I don't know, I, I love Mark Savard, if you couldn't tell, but uh, I, I, I think that's kind of cool. So. Um, yeah, I'm looking here. I guess Windsor Spitfires are a pretty good team. Uh, they have 26 they're, wins. They're a pretty good team that yeah. went all in at the deadline. They yeah. got some major pieces before they got Shane Wright. So, they're the um, it, they're they're going all in. In terms of records, they're the second best team. Oh no, no third best team. Uh, your Ottawa 67s are the best team right now. So, uh, yeah. Yep. Although that gap is narrowing pretty quick. Uh, right. Before we get away from this World Junior talk, I did want to mention a mammoth trade between the Kamloops Blazers and the Everett Silvertips. Like, you talk about oh, yeah, bonkers yeah, yeah. trades. Get a little of this. So, Kamloops is hosting the Memorial Cup this year. Part of the reason, I'm sure, why they're making this trade. So they get Olin Selwager and Ryan Hofer. Uh, Olin Selwager is one of the top WHL defensemen. Mm-hmm. Totally understand why they would trade for this guy. Here's the price tag that Everett got in the trade. Hayden Hale, Drew Englott, Ryan Pierce, and Jack Baker. On top of four first-round picks, a second-round pick, another second-round pick with conditions attached, a third, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth. Obviously not all in the same draft. But in the OHL, and I checked the John Tavares trade from Oshawa to London way back in the day, there wasn't even a first-round pick involved in that trade, and that's because in the OHL, you can't trade first-round picks. And this trade is probably why. Four first-round picks, you could build a dynasty with that. Yeah. That's stunning. Even at an NHL level, that's stunning. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Any level of hockey is stunning. That is crazy. So, yeah, just just wanted to put that out there. Uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's just like, ah, no GM would ever accept this. Yeah. You never know until you ask. Well, I, I think this happened, like, a couple of months ago. But, like, um, the old oh, – I'm blanking on his name. But I, I remember I was telling you this off the air. But there was, like, one crazy WHL trade. Oh, Nolan Allen. Um like he goes to the WHL and he's like, well, just I just know from the like following the NHL draft, like Nolan Allen's just gonna be known as like a shutdown defenseman, but like the the team that traded against him, uh, or traded for him, like traded away like like so many future first round picks or future second round picks, and it just seems so obscene just for like a like he may be good and a shutdown defenseman. That's a lot for a, a, a shutdown defenseman, if I am correct. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely um, yeah. I I just I that at that moment I just realized like okay, oh, yeah, all the all the trades in your CHL um, are insane. So um, yeah. yeah so uh, here was that trade: Nolan Allen reshot to the Seattle right. Thunderbirds. Prince Albert Raiders get Gabe Ludwig, Easton Kovacs, Braden Dubay. Two firsts, a second, a third, and two sixths. Yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> and the conditional pick is one of the two sixth yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, no conditions on the first, but the six, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. That, wait, we need to make sure the sell, there's no deal. Right, uh, right, And right. that was uh, back in uh, November of uh, 2022, so a couple months ago, pretty recent. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, all right. Uh, now we get to back to the NHL here. Uh, Joe Pavelski, he signs an extension on January 1st to Dallas, um, of course. Uh, $3 million. Takes for, less money as well as to yeah, stay that true, extra year, true. by the way. Yeah, good point. Uh, $3.5 million. Um, yeah, he, I think he did the same. Like, I think he signed his extension last time in season as well. Um, but yeah, yeah $3.5 million. Uh, for one year, um, I, I I assume like this is just pretty much what a lot of teams do, where they like you know, especially when they're older. I think Zendo Chara did this for the Bruins um, his last couple of years as well. So um, I'm sure there's other examples as well that of, of old veterans who do this. But uh, yeah, so he's staying for one more year. Um, yeah, in terms of their cap situation, it's not like it was last year because like Ottinger and Robertson were free agents that year, but um, but this year, really, there's not a ton of free agents that they desperately need to sign, other than, I guess, like Ty Delandria, who's been decent at times uh, for, for Dallas, but yeah, other than that, they're... they're and a group solid. of hints, so they don't have to worry about that discussion true, either. True, um, although they are tight on the cap, so so maybe they will eventually yeah, they make are. some deal. So. They are. We'll see. Yeah, yeah it, it's yeah. interesting that Joe Pavelski, people forget that he struggled his first year in Dallas up until the yep. bubble playoffs started. And I know a lot of people are going to be looking at, well, this guy was ruined by the bubble. Uh, mainly Jordan Bennington is the name that comes to mind on that. But I would argue Joe Pavelski has benefited the most out of the bubble yeah. because out of after that playoff run, 51 points in 56 games, 81 points in 82 games. So far this year, 43 points in 44 games. So you're talking like 75 to 80 point pace in his mid 30s over the past two and a half seasons. Yeah. After a year, after a regular season, which over an 82 game pace, he would have gotten 38 points in 2019-20. Like head and shoulders of, above uh, what people were expecting at his age, and he's uh, rekindled the uh, he's rekindled the offense uh, there the past uh, couple of years for yeah. for Dallas fans. That's that's great to see and. If he yeah. continues to provide that, then you're getting, you know, a great offense for a guy that's uh, taking up less and less of your cap space now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a, a part of that has to, well, two things for that is one, uh, he's on a great line with um, Rupe Hintz and Jason Robertson. Um, and yeah. those are really good players. And also, they moved him from center to right wing. I mean, I'm sure that also helps where he doesn't have as much responsibility as he once did when he was in San Jose. So I'm sure that they're, also they're, attributed to At the end of the day, you still need to produce. And I'm also oh, yeah. looking at his face-off win percentage. Every single season, he's been above 50%, which is nuts. Yeah, I mean, that is a good point, too. It's like, uh, I see that Rupe Hintz is injured. I think he's day-to-day. So, But they have Tyler Sagan as the center for him but yeah i guess he does he can take the occasional face off if, if he needs to and he's he's good at that too so um yeah um all right um and then um this happened i think in uh like maybe like the last week before the new year uh tory krug is out um, on LTIR it's unclear how long he'll be but i think they're saying that he'll be back by the end of February it looks like maybe March um this is kind of sad. the trade deadline basically yeah basically I mean Tory Krug wasn't having a great season anyway so maybe it's just like no. just as well 
Um, but um, at the same time, it's also like it makes like uh, I see that Robert Bertuzzo, Marco Scandello, and Scott Perunovic are also on IR. Um, so it's just more like just a ton of defensemen. Plus, the good news though is you have Colton Pareko still healthy. You have Justin Falk still healthy. Um, and then um, I've been, um, I think Callie Rosen, he's kind of, every now and then you see him like score a point on if you're looking at score sheets from a fantasy hockey perspective, although he is on the third pair. But um, it is interesting just from, from that standpoint of like, oh, okay, they're like, you know, at least like from the, the good news of having like a lot of depth on your defense is like, yeah, you don't have Perunovic, you don't have Tori Krug. But you do have, you still have Justin Falk and Colton Perico who have been um, decent um, for, for them. But, um, yeah, it's still like, you know, it's, it's got to hurt for the St. Louis because they're, they're probably wishing that they have. Uh, I, I guess I would gather that Tory Krug was playing injured, um, and then it just came to a point where he was just like, you know what, I can't play anymore like this. And... Yeah, they're they're out of the playoffs, so maybe that, that was also part of it. But yeah, we'll we'll see. Not for the Vancouver Canucks. St. Yeah. Louis is the team of dysfunction in the Western Conference. They have the same amount of points as the Colorado Avalanche, but they play three more games yeah. in Colorado. Colorado has a plus seven goal differential. St. Louis is a negative twenty, and uh, Colorado in forty one games has given up one hundred and eighteen goals. St. Louis in forty four games. 159 goals against. It's crazy. With with that much defensive depth, I am stunned. Yeah. That that stat shocks me. Yeah, yeah. Um Robin Robin Leonard, um, speaking of LTIR, uh he has Yeah, and speaking of stunning headlines too. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Robin Leonard has filed for chapter seven bankruptcy linked to his ownership of an exotic snake farm in Missouri. Um, yeah, it says that he's the filing list that Leonard's liability between 10 to 50 million, unless the same lending agency that was sued in Evander Kane's bankruptcy as well. Um, which, as uh, Steve reminded me before we started the show, that Evander Kane and Robin Leonard used to be teammates. Um, it's, it kind of reminds me of those, I don't know, I mean, a lot of, I, you, Steve, you're a baseball fan, but like it reminds me of all those, like, injuries in spring training where like a guy falls off his pickup truck or something it's just like how did that happen or something it's just like i didn't even know that like robin leonard owned a snake farm in missouri that seems so random it's not like he i didn't even snake- know exotic yeah. snake farms were a thing yeah me either yeah like, to be honest. I didn't, like and in missouri it's like i can gather why exotic animals could be a thing in vegas but this is in St. Louis, this is in Missouri, <laughs> so it's just, that, that part seems a little odd to me, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's a little weird, um, but yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a story, um, and yeah, hope, hope everything goes well for him there, and, you know, there's also, I mean, speaking of vagrancy, it does remind me of Jack Johnson, um, all those years ago, although that was more that his parents were defrauding him, um, and this is just different where Robin Leonard was just stupid. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Well, and, and there's also like, if like 
depending on how severe the injury is, like who knows when he's going to be back on the ice. Like you would think next year, you would hope next year, but we're not really sure. There's such a thing as injury-related setbacks. Um, so, I mean, when when you suffer bankruptcy and you're and you still got a lot of hockey uh, left ahead of you, I mean, yep. that's a that's a pretty rough situation. And obviously, with with the with um, with everything that Robin Leonard has gone through off the ice with uh, with the mental with the mental health side of things, uh, you know, obviously this would cause a lot of stress on a guy. And you know, you 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 you're just so and he's also got a young family too yeah on top of that so you're just hoping for the person and for the family that everything's okay and uh, that he can get back to to playing hockey but uh yeah the legal stuff can take a lot out of you for sure not that i would know but <laughs> i'm yeah. sure it's a, a struggle and a Probably hassle great, especially yeah. owning an exotic snake farm uh, I, I would imagine that uh I, i'm not sure what the legalities are around that but uh, they're Probably, Probably not pretty great. Uh, sketchy. Yep. Uh, now into good news or feel good news. Um, the hottest team in the league is not your Boston Bruins. It's not, um, I don't even know who else. You know, it's not anyone in Canada. In fact, it's the team that beat them um, all, and that's the Seattle Kraken. Um, they are currently on an eight game winning streak um, and um, seven. They're on a seven-game road straight. That that includes a seven-game road trip uh, where they beat uh, Edmonton, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. Then they go back to the States into Buffalo. They beat Buffalo. They beat Boston. Um, and then they beat Chicago that Steve alluded to where they had uh, they had six goals and seven shots um, in the, to start the first. Um, so, um, yeah, you're just, like, looking at all these things. It's, like, it, I mean, obviously the most impressive one is Boston just because Boston has been the hottest team all season. And they go in and they give the Bruins their first home loss in regulation. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's just even more crazy that it's just, like, they're doing this all on the road. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're, they're looking good. In fact, they're the first team to in NHL history to sweep a road trip of seven or more games um which is just crazy because usually seven, like a seven game road trip isn't even like common um in the NHL so I, I imagine that'll take a while before this is broken if that is ever broken um so good for the Seattle Kraken it seems like they figured it out also I'm noticing here that Martin Jones has started um six of these seven games um, and they beat good teams like Edmonton, Toronto, Boston, Buffalo had their moments as well. So, yeah, I know like Ottawa and Montreal and Chicago are on there too. But like, you know, like beating Edmonton and Toronto um, are not easy feats, and and shutting out Boston at home um, is is super impressive for them. So it's like at that point after I watched that game, it's like it was more of like I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed type of feeling and. Um, or I'm impressed that Seattle was able to do that. Um, and I'm even more impressed that Martin Jones is the guy who, who's been leading the team here. Um, also, uh, Daniel Sprong um, has come to life. Um, 27 points in 35 games. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, Jared McCann has 22 goals. He leads the team there. 
Matty Beniers has had a point streak as well, and so has Vince Dunn. Um, he's getting going. So, um, yeah, the, the Seattle Kraken are, like, you know, don't look now, but they are pretty good. Yeah, taking a look at some of the key stats, uh, the one thing that started off before you mentioned all of these that are more impressive than the stats that I was looking at, 16-4-2 yeah. record overall away from home, uh, largely um, fueled by that win streak. But even before then, they were finding ways to win games on the road, so that's good. Um, they are tied with L.A. for second place in the Pacific. They're actually only two points back of Vegas. And the key thing to note about the Seattle Kraken is – They've only played 42 games. They have two games in hand on Vegas. They have four games in hand on the Kings. Um, And you look at uh, the teams that they're leading in terms of goals for in the West, the only team that they're trailing is the Edmonton Oilers. Yep. Oddly enough. And that team is McDavid and Dreisaitl. Right, right, right. And they're only trailing the Edmonton Oilers by uh, six goals. In terms of goals for uh, 158 for Seattle, 164 goals uh, for Edmonton. So the fact that they're near the top of the NHL leaderboard on a team that a lot of people thought wasn't ready to make the playoffs uh, was a bit underwhelming offensively last year. And now all of a sudden they're just exploding again. I've said it on previous shows. This team does not have Shane Wright, any of the star talent that's killing in the OHL. They don't have Ty Nelson on the back end either. Just imagine in a couple of years when those guys start making their mark, how good this team could be. So th- this is the start of a positive stretch of things to come. And if you're a Seattle fan, you should be very happy regardless of how the rest of the season goes. I'm interested to see what their approach is at the deadline if they continue to win. Yeah, yeah. Um, I um, I just looked here. Um, I was just curious about Martin Jones's stats. And... Um, even though he's 21, 5, and 3, now I'm back to be like, oh, right, Martin Jones, he stinks. Um, he has an 895 save percentage, so still a sub-900 save percentage, and a 2.76 GAA. So, yeah, I mean, I think, like, the, the or what I was thinking about, I must have said this during a, a season preview or something, but, like, the, the Kraken were decent last year. It was just that they didn't have the goaltending. Uh, last year and what's crazy is is that this team it's like you know Philip Grubauer hasn't been that much better he has a three point uh, he has a 349 GAA and a save percentage of um, 885 um, so it's like yeah they're like you know I thought that Seattle would be better than they were last year but they're like the reason why they're doing it isn't because of their goaltending and it isn't because Grubauer figured things out. It's because their scoring is that much better. And like, they're actually just like skating better and, you know, getting goals um, in crazy ways. So it's just, it is kind of funny when you think of it, it's just like, you would think like, Oh, okay. They're, they're a pretty good team, but yeah, their goaltending isn't that good, but it does, you know. It's, Some of their underlying yeah. stats, too, like their penalty kill is only 68.7%, which, yeah. ugh. Yeah, that and, does And uh, they've also, they also have the second worst face-off percentage. The only one that has the worst is Buffalo, and that's by a difference yeah. of point two. But the reason why Seattle is doing well and they're winning games is they're not giving the opponent enough yeah. chances to make them pay. 27.9 shots against per game, the only team's above that 
Carolina, New Jersey, and Calgary. And uh, two of those three teams are Titans in the Metro Division uh, that have been very good at uh, turning the corner and dictating the play their way. And when you're not hemmed in your own zone and fending off shots like uh, the Kraken were at times last year, it makes a big difference. Yep. Um, also, I forgot to mention, or I guess we can say this now, um, that uh, Seattle is going to do the Winter Classic uh, next year. So Yes. Uh, they're hosting Vegas. Um, I believe there's... Um, I know... I can understand why... Um, and I guess they're doing this in the Manors Stadium and not the Seahawks Stadium. I thought they would do it in the St- Seahawks Stadium. Um, I think that would be a lot cooler. But... Um, I, I can see why people would get mad at that because it's not like, you know, when usually when teams, you know, because this is their second season or this will be their third season. Um, however, I think there's only like three teams that haven't done an outdoor game uh, yet. And um, and those are like markets like Columbus and uh, I think, well, Florida, I guess, does have the fan base, but it's like... You can't really do that in the sun. <laughs> you can't do an outdoor event like that in the sun. So, um, so I can see why like teams like those fan bases. I think there's another team that hasn't done an outdoor game yet, but um, like I can understand why those teams, those fan bases, would be upset that like this team just got created and Vegas just got created as well. Like how how come they get to do a winter classic before and those and then, same people yeah. are going to be complaining when a yeah. team for the fourth or fifth time is involved in yeah. an outdoor game it's like you yeah, have someone new it's just right, like right. Oh, we tried that and you didn't like it so what, can, what else can we do to disappoint you yeah huh? <laughs> i mean I, like i can i can also understand that too it's like i'm a huge bruins fan i even went half uh, the entire country just to watch them play two games um, and I also, you know, I, I can understand why, like, yeah, I was kind of sick. Of, like, it was kind of cool seeing them play at Fenway Park, though. But, yeah, I mean, at the same time, I feel like these, um, the more and more that these outdoor games are existing, it's more like, it's more for the fans of those certain fan bases. It's like, it's kind of like an all-star game where it's like, it probably doesn't really matter um, if you're, um, you know, if you're just out, um, what's my point here? I'm, I'm just saying that if you're not in the, in that area, it's, um, it's probably yeah. not going to be meaningful to you. Cause it's like, you're just watching a game on TV. In fact, the quality is probably going to be even worse for you. But at the same time, if you're actually there, it's kind of fun. It's a, it's a cool little event that you have that you can like, I, I went to, uh, the Fenway, the first time it was at Fenway, um, and I can say that for the rest of my life. Um, so, so it's just like a cool little like thing for people in the local area, um, and it's not necessarily like something where like I can see why fam like Columbus would be upset about that, but I don't know. At the same time, yeah, I think you're right. Just get over it. Basically, it's not it's not a huge deal. I think I don't know, um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, anyways, that, that should be exciting, and Seattle um, is looking good, um, but we'll see how long that continues. Um, and yeah, we'll see. Um, Alright, now we get to the, uh, the t- main topic here. The Oilers. Uh, they are in the uh, Seattle uh, 
division, in fact, uh, they are currently fifth um, in the Pacific, um, and they are also the second wild card. I, th- I feel like we've mentioned this before, but rem- I think we've always... We have. Probably at least twice, because it's the same theme, I feel like, every year. We try to mention it. It's McDavid and Drysdale and everyone else. Yes, well, that I, I was... Yeah, we do say that, but I was going to say how... We, we mentioned how, like, the Pacific's the worst division, or usually, like... True, we, yeah. You, you know, we usually think of the Pacific as the worst division, and now they have, if the playoffs were to start today, they'd have five teams in the playoffs, including Seattle and Vegas, who are both, you know, speaking of expansion teams. So, um, and yes, they do have Anaheim, they do have San Jose and Vancouver, who are all tire fires right now but um but yeah the other five teams are decent somehow but Edmonton um it's just inter- it's just crazy because uh Connor McDavid leads uh the league in points right now with 83 points in 45 games just ridiculous that's almost two points per game in fact um he's projected to have 151 points in 82 games um, I believe that um, I, I thought I looked at this the other day, but I think the the post lockout era record is 160 games or something, or 160 points. Um, but uh, but I'm not. I, I think it's in that area. But still, 150 points in 82 games is is very good, of course. Um, and then Drysaddle has 68 points. I'm in 43 games. Then you have Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who has 53 points in 45 games. Zach Hyman has 47 points in 44 games. And then you have Tyson Berry, um, who has 32 points in 45 games. And this is where it starts to go all downhill. Because then you have Darnell Nurse, who has 21 points. Evan Bouchard, who has 18 points. Clint Costin, who has actually picked it up lately. Uh, He has 13 points. Matthias Janmark has 13 points in 31 games. Uh, Evander Kane, although he, it looks like, I guess we'll talk about him in a second. So that's that's pretty good, too, where he has 13 points in 14 games. Uh, Killer Yamamoto has 12 points in 31 games. It's just, um, I could just go down this entire list, but uh, that like it's pretty much what you were just saying, um, is that we say this every year. McDavid, Dreisaitl, really good. Uh, Nugent Hopkins, Zach Hyman, really good too, but not as good as the other two players we just mentioned. Um, but um, everyone else stinks, pretty much. And um, and then when you look at the goaltending situation, um, oh, I forgot to check the this. Um, or I was going to give you here. Um, I'm just talking to myself here. Uh, that uh, Stuart Skinner, um, he's been, uh, to his credit, he has actually been pretty good. A 914 save percentage and a 2.96 GAA. He's 12, 10, and 2. Like, yeah, that's not great, but it's not bad. And then that's compared to Jack Campbell, who has a 343 GAA and a save percentage of 883. Um, and he's 12, 8, and 1. Um, so um, that. That is, uh, just as a reminder here, um, Stuart Skinner, 
Um, he just got an extension in the middle of December, um, and we were going to talk about him, but we, we ended up not doing that. Um, but yeah, he has a three-year extension worth $2.6 million. It's not a bad contract. Um, however, what's already looking pretty bad is uh, Jack Campbell was, uh, has a $5 million uh, per year contract for five years, um, and he's already looking pretty bad. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's just um, it's kind of insane. Um, from that standpoint, um, you could, you could say that it's like, you know, maybe admit like the reason for all this stuff that's going on is because, um, because of the goaltending, you could blame it on that, but you could also say that like, uh, Yamamoto hasn't picked it up like we thought he would, um, Broberg hasn't lived up to his expectations, um, Jesse Pugliarvi hasn't lived up to expectations. I would say that Dylan Holloway hasn't lived up to expectations, but I'll give him a pass for this year just because he is a rookie. Um, and like Evan Bouchard is a big one. He has 18 points in 45 games. You thought he would. It's just crazy because they made the playoffs last year. They got kind of far um, in the playoffs as well. So we thought like, okay, this is like a new phase for them into Oilers that they were going to be like the next, like this is going to be the phase where Connor McDavid actually gets his cup and like all the seasons prior are just in like in in hopes or just like practice preparation for the playoffs basically but there's a there's a strong chance that the Oilers won't make the playoffs right now um which is a shame because Connor McDavid is having his best season ever and they're probably gonna waste it um and that's just just depressing, pretty much. Um, so, uh, um, I also should mention before I give it to you, um, there are just things that I, I realized I didn't go over. Um, Evander Kane should be back soon. Um, it seems like he might be back sometime this week. It's unclear, but if you remember, he had like this, like, like his wrist got bruised basically because it got skated over. I mean, it looked, it was pretty brutal. Um, and, um, hopefully he's okay, like, I, but, like, I can imagine that that's probably gonna take a while to recover from, even if he is skating and back on the team. Um, also, uh, Mike Smith is on LTIR, and Oscar Clefbaum, who has missed the last two seasons, is also on LTIR. Um, it seems like Smith is probably gonna retire after this year, and Clefbaum is on free agency, um, is a free agent next year, so I would imagine he's also going to. Uh, uh, both of those guys are probably going to retire. Um, but um, but yeah, I think I think you were mentioning this that um, that even if Evander Kane were to come back, it's kind of like a Vegas situation last year. Um, yeah, he is making five point one two five million, um, but uh, Edmonton can't afford to, like they they're going to have to make some moves before they put him into the lineup because they're out of cap space. So, um, so that, yeah, uh, Ken Holland's going to have to make some moves. Um, and yeah, so, so Steve, um, to, to ask the first question here, what is going on? Well, if, uh, everyone knew that this wouldn't be a problem anymore, would it? Um, it's tough to explain. Like you can't even put words to it. Like, 
Just looking at Connor McDavid's stats, 83 points in 45 games, 37 goals in those 45 games. Dude could practically hit 60 goals this year. His career high before this was set last year, and it was 44. Uh, 151-point pace in 82-game season. That's even less from uh, the COVID-shortened 2020-21 season when they only played 56 games, and he played in every single one. Uh, he had 314 shots on goal last year. He's probably going to surpass that. Uh, his shooting percentage is 20.2. His previous career high was 17.1%. It's been around 16 to 17% in most of his good years. And even though his uh, face-off win percentage has been inconsistent, he's the driver of this team. He drives the boat. Wherever the Oilers go, um, they go the same trajectory as Connor McDavid. And you know what? Leon Dreisaitl might not be Connor McDavid, but he's one hell of a wingman because he has 68 points in 43 games as well with 26 goals. That's a pace of 130 points in 82 games. Once again, career high. His previous career high uh, per 82-game pace was 127, set a few years ago in the 2019-20 season when he played 71 games and got 110 points. His shooting percentage is even crazier than McDavid's. His career high is 21.6%, and over the past five years, it's gone 21.6, 19.7, 18.5, 19.8, this year 18.4. Similar to McDavid, he's averaging four minutes of power play time and 22 minutes uh, per game in all situations. And his face-off percentage over the past five seasons has been 50% or better this year, it's 53.3%. A couple of seasons ago, it was 55.7%. So even Leon Dreisaitl is having a career year. And you know what? Zach Hyman's been doing doing a good job. He's been pulling his weight. He's having a career year. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been pulling his weight. He could have a career year as well. Definitely, at worst case, one of his better offensive seasons. And Tyson Berry and uh, Darnell Nurse for given what they're supposed to be doing they've been all right as well but outside of those guys and i'm excluding evander king because he's only played in 14 games and when he does come back in theory he should have an impact the fact that the oilers deaf guys have done what they've done and the fact that the oilers special teams outside of the power play hasn't been up to snuff with the rest of the league but the fact that the goalie they're paying the most money is getting less stellar stats than the guy they just signed to an extension. I mean, it's good that they have two goalies under contract for the next three plus years. That's great and all, but still, you need to get good quality goaltending. You need good quality depth from those guys. And you know what? Some of that might not be on the players. Some of that might be on coaching. But the bigger issue for me and it's been this issue from the start, is not having the right guy in place. And this is a, this is a theme that's happened throughout the course of Connor McDavid's career and even the year before that. They're rotating through GMs. They're rotating through coaches. They're not really getting the coach who's in charge at the time, whether it's Ralph Kruger, whether it's Tom Rennie, whether it's Todd McClellan, whether it was Ken Hitchcock for that half a season, whether it was Dave Tippett, whether it was uh, Ryan Woodcroft now, you're, you're not giving the guy enough of a chance to realize what he has and how to work around that. 
And maybe part of that is on the coach because he can't adapt as well as you'd like. But at the end of the day, if you're not good at drafting in all rounds, and you're not good at developing players, and you're not finding the right guys in free agency or prioritizing the guys to keep, if you're not making those right decisions, you're going to have a bad time. And the poster teams for finding out which guys to keep, which guys to develop, drafting and developing the right guys, having a good eye for the draft. You look at Tampa Bay, you look at Colorado, you look at Toronto, and you can look at their playoff success and determine whether or not it's good enough. It matches the eye test. But you know what those teams have done? They've been able to draft and develop players consistently. They've been able to make their free agency moves time and time again, prove out to be the right ones. They're knowing what players to commit on. And if you know you're going to be paying a lot of money to your high-end guys, you're able to find the depth guys to make it work, to be cap compliant. And the fact of the matter is the Oilers will not be cap compliant when Evander Kane comes back, and now you have to make more moves. So even if they even make playoffs, I don't know if Ken Holland's the right guy. And I think most of this falls on Ken Holland yeah. because he's the guy cashing out the checks that Daryl Cates allows him to. And it, I, I, I swear, if Dubas and Keith, for some reason, are available, get those guys in ASAP. Yeah. I'm not guaranteeing a Stanley Cup under that regime, but at least, at least get McDavid and Dreisaitl in the playoffs consistently. Because that they can't even do that with these guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that's necessarily Ken Holland's fault. Um... I see what you're saying. I, I think the, the fact that they did go far last year um, in the playoffs, it's not necessarily that. It's more just consistency. Like, it was, I mean, like, I don't know if they could have projected that Jack Campbell was going to go, was going to be bad. I don't know if they could expect that uh, Evan Bouchard wouldn't take the next step or that, I mean, Darnell Nurse has been okay, but... I guess you could say that like Darnell Nurse isn't worth nine point two five million for eight years. That's incredible. Um, but um, again, I, I would say yeah. they're backed into a corner because they didn't have much of a choice. Like they true. need a guy like Darnell Nurse. But, but and like Darnell Nurse was played into their hands. That's true. That's true. That's fair. But like at the same time, it's like, what are they gonna do? Not pay Connor McDavid all the money? <laughs> like yeah, you know, like no, they had. And I'm not saying yeah. that it's not worth it, but like you need to figure out a way. Right. If you're gonna be doing this, if you're gonna be giving out money to those guys, yeah. you gotta be able to find a way to make the rest work. And oh, yeah, Jesus yeah. has been able to do that on the Leafs. That's yeah, what I, mean. I, I guess. I guess what I'm thinking is is that the reason why the Oilers haven't been as good is one that Jack Cam hasn't been as good as uh, we all expected him to be and second and secondly uh, guys like Puli Arvi Yamamoto um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess I'll include nurse in this although he is better of all these guys but um, a Bouchard a nurse I, I again I'm I'm gonna like Holloway I guess gets a pass but Anyways, the point is, is that the draft, like, Broberg's another one. Like, all the guys that they drafted first, in the first round, yes, obviously they hit on Dreisaitl, they hit on McDavid. Um, but all these other guys that they drafted in the other rounds, they didn't hit on. So, it's, it, like, a lot of that is just more, like, you can't, like, like I feel like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, like, 
were too good for the development. Whereas like all the other guys that they have on the team that, oh, and I guess Nugent Hopkins also belongs in the good side of development as well. But like the, like the other guys like Yamamoto and Pugliarvi, they, they're, they haven't lived up to expectations. Um, and, and they should, and that's a big reason. Like, and if you're going to pay McDavid and Dreisaitl their money, which is what they deserve, and like, you know, no one's saying that they should, they don't deserve that much money that they're making, clearly. But the fact is, is then you have to like find guys like Michael Bunting. You have to find guys like uh, Cal Yarncock. I'm just thinking of Toronto for now, but because um, there's, you know, their cap situation is pretty similar. Like you have to find guys who are going to like benefit off of making less than what they're worth, they're actually worth. Right now, yes, Yamamoto is making three point one million. Puliyarvi is making three million. They're not worth that much, um, and <laughs> that's not even that much. So, um, so yeah, that I, I think that's a big part of it too. Um, I am curious though, like what they do with their goaltending situation too, um, with Stuart Skinner, because uh, he's he's been playing really well, and I think that's a big reason why they decided to extend him is that clearly Jack Campbell, there's something going on with Jack Campbell. We don't know what, but it's it's looking very much like a Sergei Bobrovsky situation, even though <laughs> Campbell's only making five million and Bobrovsky's making ten million, so. There is a difference there, but it looks like uh, Stuart Skinner should be the guy, but now they have like dead weight in Jack Campbell's contract. Um, like you're paying five million for a backup goaltender. It's like, what do you, what do, you do there? Um, so yeah, I guess from that standpoint, yes, I don't think, um, I, I don't think uh, Ken Holland knows what he's doing with the, the like the, the fact that like Jack Campbell really went back into their face, uh, Darnell Nurse one wasn't great, um, but like you know he does deserve some credit for Zach Hyman. Um, he extended Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Um, that that's that's looked good so far. So it's not like all on Ken Holland. I think it's just that this team is underperforming. I am also curious to see what will happen when Evander Kane. Uh, comes back because if you remember last year the Oilers were struggling um, and then Ken Holland goes out and gets Evander Kane um, even though that was a pretty controversial move and and that was a big reason why the Oilers even made the playoffs was because uh, Evander Kane gelled with McDavid um, as well so um, so I think there is a decent chance that um, Evan, like you know once Evander Kane's in the lineup then the rest of the the you know they'll probably win some more games and and all that stuff but I, I don't know I think it's time to to be worried about this Edmonton Oilers team. Um, I would definitely be worried about the Edmonton Oilers and yeah. and you know what that's a good testament to how valuable Evander Kane is and, and good right. on him for for being as valuable of a contributor that he's been during his time there. But I was just looking at uh, the list of twenty goal scorers on the Oilers. McDavid obviously in the lead with thirty seven. 26 uh, in 43 games is Leon Dreisel. He's second. Nugent Hopkins has 21. He's third. Zach Hyman has 20. Mm-hmm. Not a single player after that has scored at least 10. And the closest is Kim Clauston, who has nine goals in 29 games. Yeah. 
And obviously, if Evander Kane was fully healthy, he'd probably be on that list too. And when he does come back, it will be a big boost to the lineup, I would think. But the fact that it's one guy can sink or, or, or can sink or ground this team, it's like you look at Carolina and Colorado and teams that are banged up that have been able to keep on trucking regardless of who they put on the ice. Again, I go back to the drafting and developing part. Like Part of the reason why Michael Bunting has turned out as good as he's had in Toronto, I'm sure has been uh, the development coaches at the various levels that have worked with Michael Bunting. And likewise with uh, the other markets that have been able to churn out talent left and right, like Tampa Bay with Ross Colton is another example. And, right. and, um, and, and seeing good talent like Brandon Hagel, look at what he's turned into this year as well. So it's one thing to spot the talent, but it's another to go out and actually develop these guys, get them in game shape ready, so that when you put them out on, regardless of its line X, Y, or Z, they're able to contribute exactly what you need for their team. And going back to the goaltending standpoint, I I had nerves when Jack Campbell entered Edmonton because at least Toronto's defense had some, had yeah. some sort of structure and sustainability to it. And a lot of people were concerned whether or not Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov could be an adequate tandem. Had they been the best tandem in the league? No. But I think they've been better than what a lot of people expected. Yep. And they've definitely been better than Edmonton's tandem to this point. Well, yeah, that, I mean, a lot of teams have been better than Edmonton's tandem. Um, but, uh, yeah, Clint Costin, who you mentioned briefly, uh, he has four goals in his last three games, so it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So but yeah. At, at least that part's working out for them, and he's barely yeah. averaging 11 minutes of ice time. Right, 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 right. Um, okay, so yeah, we mentioned that uh, Edmonton is currently fifth in the Pacific and they hold the second wildcard spot. Um, will the Oilers make the playoffs? I guess I can go first. I, I think the Oilers yeah. will figure it out. I, I think what they'll decide to do is they're gonna they're gonna start Stuart Skinner um, more. I think a Banner Kane will definitely help their situation. Um, and then that's when I feel like, okay, w- like then Woodcroft can do what he did last year um, when he when he joined the team. But um, so I, I do think that they can. And as as I've mentioned before, I think like the Pacific is a weak division. Um, as good as Vegas and Seattle have been, um, I think there there is a chance where Edmonton can 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 get. Get some get some points and, and make a, a run for their money, I guess, um, there. Um, and, yeah, the, they do have some competition with Calgary. They do have competition with L.A. as well. But um, I don't know. I, I, feel, I just feel like it's when you have the best player in the league in Conor McDavid um, by a mile, um, you know, it, it's like you just can't give up on them, you, you know, and all that stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, what do you, what do you think? So, first of all, they need to get better at home because I noticed their home record shouldn't be uh, – like, it's it's slightly below 500, but it should be a lot better than what it is. Right. So, they have Seattle at home on Tuesday. Then they host Tampa Bay. That's going to be a big one on Thursday the 19th. They're in Vancouver, who we talked about as the team of dysfunction in the West. Then they have Columbus and Chicago, both home games, to close out January. They need good results in those games there. Uh, you have Detroit, Philly, Ottawa, Montreal, all on that road trip. Um, 
teams that you can't sleep on, but definitely they're not Metro Division teams that can scare you. So you need good production out of those games. And then you host Detroit uh, in the middle of February as well. So this is after the All-Star break. I should keep that in mind. Uh, they also have games against the Rangers and Avalanche and uh, Pittsburgh and Boston. All of them are fighting for position in their respective divisions and conferences. Uh, so they will have some quality matches uh, throughout February as well. But then you get into March, and this is where it could be a sink or swim month for the Oilers. Hosting the Leafs, home and home with the Jets, who are low-key very, very good this year. Buffalo's offense cannot be underestimated, so they have that on March the 9th. Then they're in Boston, in Toronto. Uh, then after a stop in, uh, then after hosting Ottawa, rather, they host Dallas, visit Seattle, then they got uh, San Jose and Arizona, those are winnable games. But then they get two games against Vegas, uh, a home game against LA to close out the month of March, and also in between another game, uh, this one uh, in Arizona at Mullet Arena on March 27th. So if I'm looking at the month that could sink or swim their season, it's probably the month of March because there's a lot of winnable games there, but there's a lot of matches where they need to get results against quality teams. So uh, the, the month of March, they need to get progress before that, but we're really going to see what this team's made of in March. I mean, every team is every, every March for every team. Um, is a sink or swim month, literally, just because yeah, that's the last but month. Just but, in terms of the quality of opponents, like yeah, like, I know, like I know, but opponents, like the strength of the schedule, yeah. like March is going to be the month for the I, Oilers. I know, to but really that's like that's a month and a half right now, uh, from now. Yeah, and and at that point, the trade deadline has passed yeah, as that's well. True. Yep. Um, I will say though that it's it's interesting right now that so. The Oilers have 45 games played. They have 51 points. Uh, Calgary also has 51 points, but they have 44 games played. Um, then the Kings have 56 points in 46 games. Um, Kraken have 56 points in 42. And Vegas has 58 points in 44 games. Um, what is kind of crazy, and I didn't realize this, Colorado has 45 points in 41 games. They're the next closest to the wild card. Um, so uh, Colorado has four games in hand from Edmonton, um, and they have, but they are six points behind Edmonton at the moment. Um, granted, like they could catch up to uh, Minnesota, um, who has the third spot in the Central right now with 52 points, um, but. Um, and, and who knows with Minnesota, I feel like they, they've been following every every now and then. But, um, but yeah, it is kind Colorado's of... Colorado's going to get healthier, too. That's yeah. the scary part. But, like, you know, we just talked about how St. Louis is struggling with injuries. Uh, Nashville isn't as enticing. But, yeah, pretty much the only team that Edmonton really needs to worry about from, like, the outsider perspective is Colorado. Uh, St. Louis, maybe you, you could worry about them, but... Um, but yeah, Colorado is definitely going to make a run at the very least, or make it close. Um, but yeah, I, I think Edmonton could beat out LA. Um, Seattle, I you know they may not be for real, but they're they're probably for real, um, or they've done enough at the very least. 
Um, and yeah, Vegas is also pretty good too. So, so yeah, I, I guess I could, you know, it, it's not like a, like a sure thing that Edmonton's making the playoffs, but it's, I wouldn't be shocked, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, well, the other thing yeah. is with the Edmonton Oilers, uh, sorry to interject. Um, the other thing with the Oilers is if you realize, okay, we need to make a couple of moves. Well, the salary cap, your team's cap yeah. situation, kind of limits you already to what they can do. Colorado could swing for the fences at the deadline again. Yep. They could get a Patrick Kane. They could get a Jonathan Taves. They could get a Bo Horvath. Well, they they have the prospects and uh, the type of guys to include in a trade to really bolster their offense or whatever they need to bolster. Yeah, no, so I mean, Edmonton Colorado's going to get healthier, and they're probably going to make a big splash at the deadline. True. Edmonton could also do the same thing. They would just have to, like, trade. They'll probably trade Pool Party or Yamamoto. I would oh, imagine. yeah. No, they're trading them regardless. Yeah, like, yeah. they need to trade someone to get cap space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, so that kind of takes us to our next question here. So if the Oilers aren't making the playoffs or, like, are on the first... Let, let's say, that like, it's the end of February and uh, the Avs are in the wild, that wildcard spot and Edmonton is not, um, what do the Oilers do? Mm. I think they look at all of their options... Yep. And they pray that one of one and preferably both of McDavid and Drysdale are still investing in this team. The worst thing that could happen is if one of those guys says, I am out of here. Yep. I am done carrying this team on my back. Get me to a team that's consistently in contention to win the Stanley Cup. I'm out. Yeah. If, th- if one of them says that, they are in deep, deep trouble. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment. I think what will pro- what I, I was thinking like you know, like trades or things like that. Um, I think you're probably onto something that Ken Holland will probably be fired if they don't make the playoffs this year. Um, but um, I don't know if it's entirely his fault. I think they would, uh, like, yeah, I think they probably try to get something out of Pugliarvi. They probably get try to get something out of Yamamoto. Um, and maybe, like, you know, like, because they're, they're I, I feel like those two would be good on a different team um so yeah. they might they might they, they they still have some value even though they haven't lived up to their expectations just yet but i imagine some there's still interest in those two guys um i think that makes the most sense um and also just like contract wise it makes the most sense um maybe you try to trade um and then it and then you try to get like a defense like a shutdown defenseman or you try to get like, um, yeah, or someone like another winger maybe, or uh, someone that can uh, fit into the system that a little bit better, who's slightly older. I don't even know who who could be on the market just yet, but um, someone like that um, might be might be decent. Um, well, that's the other thing. You can't yeah. make a coaching change either. You're kind of you're kind of yeah. really stuck if you're the Oilers. True, like, true. what can you do outside of a few major? minor trades to be cap compliant and maybe 
um, make a few adjustments to jolt the team in other yeah. ways. Like, I don't know if there's anything they can really do based on the situation. And like you said about Pooley Harvey and the other guys yeah, that but, uh, maybe don't fit into this team, it's the same with Ken Holland. It's like, yeah. he might be a good guy. He might serve another team well. He might be able to fit another team's scheme pretty well, but he just ain't the right fit for this job. I had a crazy idea. That's the impression I get, so... I had a crazy idea, but it involves your team, but I okay. don't, I don't shoot, think it shoot. should. I, should okay. I just shoot it? Because I now I'm I'm talking myself out of it. But yeah, yeah, do it, do it, do it. I'll do it anyways. Um, so Connor McDavid's uh, teammate on Erie Otters uh, when he was on the Erie Otters is Alex DeBrincat. <laughs> I know that yeah, he's okay, a restricted yeah. free agent. Um, it would work out because. Uh, Brincat is making six point four million. Both Puliyarvi and Yumamoto are making three million. I I guess you would have to like you know maybe make some a little bit more cash moves, but basically Yamamoto and Puliyarvi plus probably like a couple picks for Debrincat. Um and this would just be a rental for Edmonton because I don't think that uh, Edmonton could afford him, but. Um, to br- get to bring Cat to Edmonton so he can play with McDavid again. Um, and the Ottawa Senators have two young players that they can, um, who are, you know, close to the core of the team. And I know you're excited about to bring Cat, and he's probably going to sign with Ottawa, but, um, but that's one idea that I had. So that is a good idea, and definitely the idea on paper would make the most sense. Yep. However, you would still need to pay Alex to bring it. The good news is it's a uh, restrictive free agency. So right. he's not, he's not like walking onto the open market. Right. Which is why I feel Ottawa wouldn't do that because they're just like, okay, if we can't re-sign him, then we'll just wait until the off season. It can be part of a sign in trade and we can get, good value for Alex to bring it and there might be better trades outside of the one that you just proposed involving the Oilers and I don't really know if the Oilers really have anything that could really solve Ottawa's short-term and long-term needs in my opinion so yeah that's why I don't think it would work it would work for the Oilers for sure like to bring it would fit very well yeah but no you're right just realistically Ottawa would just look at it and say I don't think this benefits us as opposed to another trade that's out there. Also, yeah. I feel like Ottawa's top priority heading into the deadline, if they can get it done, is to extend Alex to bring it. And right. if if it has to wait until the end of the season, then you take your chances and see what the season has. Yeah. And even though Ottawa has performed uh, below expectations uh, to some and worse than Edmonton, they're in a tight Eastern Conference. They're in a tight division. Uh, but they are on the up and up. Outside of the inconsistencies, they're on the up and up. If they if they think that uh, they need a new coach and a new GM, they're going to get a new owner soon. Maybe the new ownership has uh, their own vision of what they want the team to be. Maybe they get a new coach and a new GM, a new mindset, yep. and they start getting guys that maybe make this team better down the road. And just, I think, with the young talents, the veterans like Claude Giroux, I think Alex Dabrinkit uh, would really like playing in Ottawa, so I don't even know what his stance is of whether or not he wants to commit long-term. Maybe he wants to stay in Ottawa. True, true. So, on paper, I totally get it. 
And I think if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, if you're able to get Alistair Brinkett, you take that all day. But um, the price would be pretty exorbitant if you're going to get him off Ottawa's hands. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess that is a good point, the fact that he's a restricted free agent. I was just thinking, like, this could be, like, a rental for Edmonton this year. But, um, but yeah, and I was also thinking, like, of the fact that McDavid used to play with Debrincat. Um, back yeah. in his junior team, so I was thinking like, okay, there there could be a connection there, um, but oh yeah, maybe maybe Dylan Strome in Washington. <laughs> I know he just got healthy scratch. Yeah, that that could be a realistic option, yeah. uh, depending on where Washington is in the standings, yeah, because yeah, he has been getting true. top six minutes the and he's performing thing. rather well. Yeah, so, but, but did... I would say Dylan Strome is more realistic than Debrink. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, just because he's also cheaper. But um, yeah. But yeah, I was just thinking like, what do like if you do trade Yamamoto and Puliyarvi, um, like okay, who could you get? And then I was thinking like Ottawa, maybe they want to like have like two pieces that could be like you know they're de- they're still decent prospects. They just probably need a change of scenery type of thing. So uh, that's why I was thinking like okay, maybe it does work. Uh, but yeah, I I guess the fact that he's a restricted Debrincat's a restricted free agent that probably. Uh, hinders some things as well because you can't really make him into a rental um the other thing is is that i'm pretty sure uh if i look at uh washington capitals cap friendly page i also think dylan strom is a restricted free agent yeah he is contract ends and yep he is yep yep so you would have the same thing with him as well yeah i know that's true too um But I think he's he's definitely cheaper than Debrinka. Oh yeah. So and he will be cheaper when Debrinka gets yeah. his big payday as of well course, yeah. by like a country mile. Right. Uh, but yeah, in terms of what Ottawa could do, uh, I heard rumor is that you know they're looking for that top four defenseman. They're not uh, really budging on what Arizona is asking for Jacob Chikrin. They might be kicking the tires on Matt Dumba in Minnesota. So I'm not really sure if Pugliarvi would be the immediate guy that they're trying to get a hold of, especially uh, when you consider uh, the the uh, long-term salary implications as well. I guess guess Pugliarvi would be more of a rental because he's wanting down on the end of his deal anyway. Um, But if, if you're looking at guys that would help this team make a bigger push for the playoffs, I think you could argue Matt Dumbo could do a better job of that than Pugliarvi just based on their needs. But Yeah, no, that's fair, I guess. No, it's another thing to think about. Uh, stranger things have happened anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, it can't be worse than the Taylor Hall-Adam Larson trade, so... Um, <laughs> yeah, you could definitely do a lot worse. Exactly. And, and it could be something that Ottawa Circle backs to at the end yeah. of the season. Right. Um, Maybe when they see what their cap picture well, is, they might get the tires on Bulliarby then. Because I, w- I was just thinking, like, season, I'm not sure. like really, what Edmonton needs is a better goaltender. Um, and I don't know how they would get out of that, because it's not like anyone's going to want to take on Jack Campbell with his contract. So it's like, okay, who else do you trade? And it's not like, I don't know, you can't really get, like, a goaltender. And I feel like that... I guess that could happen. Maybe they do get a goaltender, but then it's like, well, what do you do with Jack Campbell? Is, though, again, with the cap thing, even yeah. if you get a good quality goaltender, what's his cap hit? Right, right, right. You're trying to find a quality goaltender, but also it can't cost too much or we're over the cap. Right, right, right. Yeah, and the fact that, like, I doubt any team wants Jack Campbell. So, <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
not not at the moment anyway. Although yeah. I have seen highlights, and while they were against San Jose, he he did make some pretty good saves. So yeah, maybe he's it might back. be baby Possible. steps, but he might be turning a corner here. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Um, okay, and then lastly, besides, I mean, I guess we kind of talked about who needs to play better. I I clearly Puliarvi and Yamamoto uh, need to play better, but who else? I think Evan Bouchard is someone that I was mentioning uh, should needs yeah. to play better. Uh, that's one that's on the top of my list. I mean, I kind of have mentioned it already, but like, yeah, you know, like all the like the guys that were that um, that we you know we thought uh, were hyped to be that those good players um, haven't lived up to it just yet. So like, even like Philip Broberg, Evan Bouchard's somehow on the third line. Um, that's kind of great, or the third pair. Yeah. Uh, Darnell Nurse, although he has been better than all the other defensemen, um, besides Tyson Berry, um, he is 21 points in 45 games. He does hit, and, you know, he does, he's a decent defenseman, uh, just shutdown-wise, but I don't know. I feel like he, he needs to step up a little bit. Um, guy like Warren Fogle, honestly. Yeah. Like, when you look at his game in Carolina, he was that feisty uh, four-checker. He could use a bit of a speed to his advantage. He's had yep. four straight double-digit goal totals in his career, uh, 10 goals in his first real taste of NHL hockey. Uh, then he had 13-68 and 68 with Carolina, then 10-53. and 53. Then last year in his first year with Edmonton, he had 12-82. and 82. And sure, he might only get you like 25 to 30 points a year, but that's still good production from a bottom six forward. I feel like Warren Fogle has a bit more to give. He had 142 mm. shots last year. Whether it's getting him more ice time, getting him on a better line, I think you need to get Fogle going somehow. Yeah, that's a good answer. Um, also, I mean, I do shout out that Clint Costance, he's on a three-goal point, uh, three-game yeah. goal streak. He's been good. Four, yeah. four goals in the last three games, so pick, keeping that up. That was like a low-key trade that they made like just before the season started, so um, that was that was good on them. Um, okay, um, that about does it for us here on Lace Em Up. You can follow us on Lace Up Podcast on Twitter. Our uh, Facebook is Lace Em Up. Um, you can also subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll chat again in episode 349 of the Lace Em Up podcast.